Hello and welcome to another episode of the Future Hospitality Podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Wells, joined today by co-host Dustin Myers. We are partners at Longitude, a hospitality branding and design group. At Future Hospitality, our goal is to interview the brightest minds in the industry, gathering insights, ideas, and inspiration to share with you. If you enjoy the podcast, please be sure to leave us a review. Thank you for your support. In this episode, we have the pleasure of speaking with Damon Lawrence, co-founder and creative director at Homage Hospitality Group, a new hotel brand which aims to inspire innovators through redesigning the hospitality experience. During our discussion, we get to hear about Damon's own journey in hospitality and how Homage came to be. We find out how Damon has overcome challenge after challenge and hear about some exciting new things in store for Homage. Well, let's go ahead and dive in. Damon, thank you so much for joining us today. We're so excited to have you on the podcast. I'm super excited to be here. Uh, so thank you, Jeremy, for, for allowing me on. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I've I've been following you, um, kind of, you know, sneaking around, following you around all the different blogs and different <laughs> podcasts and different things that you've, publications you've been involved in and just... Um, kind of stalking you a little bit, so hope you'll be okay with that. <laughs> yeah, no, I appreciate it. I but appreciate it. I, I love what what you're doing and your passion behind it. Um, and so I'm excited to kind of learn more about uh, what you guys are doing at Homage. And um, but before we do that, I would like to just kind of you know for the listeners um, that might be listening to this that aren't familiar with you or um, your brand that you're working on. Just, I'd like to learn a little bit more about the journey um, and your path that's taking you from where you've been to now where you're at with Homage and what that journey has looked like with in the hospitality and hotel industry especially. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I'm excited to talk about that. Um, you know, I'll try and make it brief, <laughs> as brief as possible. But I started my uh, hotel career while I was still in college. So I was, I was at the university, Howard University in DC and um, I needed a job. It was like my, my last year needed a job just to pay the bills, get some extra money. Um, started working at a gym and I, I didn't like it. And then I was started looking, as I was looking for another job, I was like, oh, there's this new hotel that's opening a boutique hotel. I was, this was on Craigslist, right? So I was just, you know, scouring Craigslist and they had a really interesting description uh, applied and it was a, a Thompson property. And it was the first Thompson property outside of New York and, and LA. And uh, I thought it was an interesting opportunity. I, I applied, had the interview, wowed on the interview, and then I uh, got the job. And it was a, a brand new hotel, boutique, about 150 rooms, um, really cool design. It was called the Donovan House. Uh, and, you know, it opened me up to a whole world of hospitality that I didn't even know existed. So I, I'm like so many other people where I just fell into it um, by mistake, didn't go to hotel school or hospitality school or anything. Uh, and then from there, <clears throat> the, the day that I realized that I wanted to actually own hotels was Obama's first inauguration. So I'm working the front desk. And there's like a myriad of celebrities that are staying with us, right? Um, we had, you know, all of Bad Boy staying with us. We had all of the MTV uh, disc jockey, I mean, uh, video jockeys at the, at the time staying with us. We had, you know, Seal and Heidi Klum. We had Spike Lee was over here. Alfred Woodard is over here. And 
um, you know, it was just a really eclectic group of people that were all converged upon our lobby, right? And I think one of the interesting things was we had so much culture in that room. I mentioned Spike Lee, and there were others <clears throat> relevant in sports, media, entertainment, and then we're celebrating the you know the first black president, right? And what that means. And I was just amazed that we're doing all of this in a city that's called Chocolate City, um, but the own the building and the space in which we're doing it in was not owned by someone black. And I thought that, man, that, that this would have been an interesting opportunity and how different of an experience would it have been if that were the case. And so from that point, I was like, you know, this is what I want to do. So I started doing research, trying to figure out if there was somebody else that looked like me that was in this space that had a brand, a boutique brand that I didn't know about. You know, were th was there any rapper who had invested in a hotel that I didn't know about? And I couldn't find anything. Um, and all I kept finding was these historical references back to the Green Book era of all these hoteliers from the from the 1800s and the early 1900s that created spaces just for Black people to feel safe and comfortable. <clears throat> so that's where even the name came from. It's like, okay, if I don't have if I don't have anything current that I could use and say, oh, this is what I'm gonna model or this this is the role model this is this is the trailblazer for me to follow after and i had to look at these historical references i said well then i'm just going to pay homage to that and i'm going to keep in mind that that legacy of creating spaces safe spaces and what what that means and that's where i even got the name and so that was what 2008 you know uh, and so from that point on I just kept taking jobs that would allow me to learn as much as possible and um, get a firm understanding of the full hotel business. So I worked at Ritz-Carlton, I worked for IHG, I worked for um, you know a couple of small independent boutiques, I worked for even a motel for a period of time and just took every opportunity to learn the industry until 2016, where I officially started Homage Hospitality. And um, from that point on, we we opened up a small property in New Orleans called the Moor. It was a, a four room property. We, we you know used that as our proof of concept. Really get the brand out there. New Orleans is a perfect backdrop for our brand because there's so many authentic stories we could tell. Um, we had a partnership, a marketing partnership with Airbnb that you know did really well. We had commercials and primetime commercials and billboards in a bunch of different markets. Uh, with me and my co-founder. And then the pandemic hit, right? And so uh, then you know, we had the summer of protest last year, and that brings us all the way to today. We were, we're building out a pretty healthy pipeline of properties now, um, even even through the pandemic. So we're pretty excited about that. That's really cool. That's, that's so awesome to hear that journey. And, um, you know, I think, like you just mentioned, a lot of... Uh, people that are doing really like groundbreaking and innovative things in this industry, um, like you just said, kind of fell into it by, you know, by accident almost. And it just yeah. kind of uh, snowballed into what, where they are today. And I think it's really cool to hear how you just um, along the way um, decided to, to, to pivot your career 
and focus on a passion that you know was building in you. So that's really cool to hear that. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I would love to just to kind of back up a little bit too, for, for people that might not be super familiar with what homage hospitality is, um, what's kind of like the elevator pitch of, of homage and, and what's, you know, if you had to kind of sum it up and the vision and the story of what you're, you're trying to accomplish. Yeah. We're, we're a brand that, that pays homage to black history and black culture. And we use hosp- hospitality and hotels as our medium in which we do so. Um, and that's, that's the real quick, straight to the point pitch. You know, if, if you were to look at Ace Hotel and what they did kind of celebrating nineties kind of grunge culture, I think, uh, black culture, especially in this country is so significant, right? And we're, we're trendsetters in so many different ways. And how can we figure out ways in each individual city to pay homage to that both current and historically? Yeah, that's a, that's a really cool story. So 2008, you have this vision, um, even come up with the name, and then it isn't eight years until you have started to see that come into being. Yep. While you're doing those different jobs and learning and gaining perspective, um, did you ever consider any other options or were you dead set on this? And um, just what was that period of waiting like? Yeah, good question. Uh, you know, there was a part of me that felt like, especially early on, that, you know, I need to become a GM. And once I become a GM, then then I'll I'll know everything I need to know and I'll be ready. And really what was the, the pivot or the catalyst for me to just say like, nah, I need to do it now, is really when, when um, the Michael Brown and Trayvon Martin and all that stuff was happening, it seemed like at the same exact time, and I said, you know, it, the timing for me is right now. And I never really thought about doing anything else, right? I had never really deviated from what the goal was, I always kind of sticking to it. I think what accelerated my process is like, I'm young, I don't have a family, don't have kids. And if I'm going to take the, the chance to do it, let me use my youth to my advantage, right? And And not wait until I'm 35 and being a GM and then now it's time for me to do it because I felt like there was a moment that was starting to bubble up in society that was going to allow for me to make a bigger name now than if I were to wait. Um, And so I'm I'm really glad that I did that and decided to do that because I think I was spot on. You know, 2016 was a really interesting year. There was like the Walter Scott case and then, you know, you had um, the... uh, I'm sorry, I'm forgetting the one in Baltimore, but there was a Freddie Gray. You had all these things starting to happen all, all at the same time and stuff was starting to bubble up, it felt like, you know? And um, I, that at that point, it felt like a really good opportunity for me to seize the moment and put this brand out there at that time to build it. And it, it's taken me about four years. You know, I, I say I, can, I went to college twice because I was... The last four years was really me learning the industry, learning the process, learning how to raise capital and how to have those conversations. And, you know, that that brought us to this pivotal moment where the preparation is now meeting the opportunity. Yeah, I love I love what you said about using your youth to your advantage. Um, I think that's 
that's just kind of reversing how a lot of people view things, but um, right. I really love it. What what challenges though with that did you face? Was it hard to get people to trust you? Was it hard to find um, investment? Yeah, um, good question. I think yeah, it was it was definitely a challenge and a learning curve because I understood operations. I knew I knew how hotels open, how they you know they breathe and and live, and all the the, the intricate parts of a hotel that, that make it what it is and make it a successful business. But it's entirely different when you're going out raising capital to buy the real estate um, and just uh, the understanding and the knowledge that you need in order to make that happen. And so I quickly realized, oh, this is the reason why no one else, no one else is doing this because it's, it's, it's hard. It's hard. It's hard, especially if you're trying to create your own brand. That is another check mark against you because even the banks are looking for that Marriott or Hyatt or Hilton affiliation if you're trying to open up a hotel. So that's definitely a challenge. And then raising capital, I think for any black entrepreneur, they'll tell you it's, it's tough, you know, not just in, in real estate, but also in the VC um, capital world where we're really only getting about 2% of, of venture capital dollars, right? And um, it's not because we lack the ideas or lack the creativity or even um, the knowledge, but we're still not finding ourselves getting the funding. And when I think about my, my friends that are tech entrepreneurs and I think about the capital that they need to raise and what that means, um, you know, it's interesting because for a hotel, the amount of capital that you need is so much more extensive, right? Like a, a tech entrepreneur can probably raise in the lifetime of their company a couple of million, and that couple of million towards one hotel deal doesn't even scratch the surface. Um, and so I, I realized that this is this is a challenge and is going to be a challenge um, when as it as I move through this process and try and open hotels in different markets is where am I going to get the capital from? Um, so that's definitely be definitely been a hard part of this journey. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. I, I read through your, your blog post on your website uh, that kind of detailed your journey up to now. And, and it seems like as I was reading that you're kind of hitting, and you've already alluded to some of these um, in our discussion so far, but you're kind of hitting roadblock after roadblock, it seemed. And, you know, as a, as a business owner and entrepreneur myself, you know, I understand like a little bit how those moments um, really almost feel insurmountable. And so I'm curious how how did you manage to keep going um, after you were hitting those roadblocks? And you know, I know you mentioned some discouragement you were facing along the way, and how you kind of did that. But could you share a little bit more about that? Yeah, uh, thank you for that question as well. Too, I think for me, what what kept me going um, as as you you keep bumping your head and bumping your head and and things just aren't going your way was really the fact that. When I look at the world, when I travel, when I, you know, drive across the country, I see thousands of hotels, right? And my only ask, is, especially initially, is I just need one. So I know that it's possible, right? I know that um, it, it can happen, but it's just me figuring it out and figuring out whatever path and, you know, keep prodding, keep pushing because sooner or later, I'm going to break down that barrier if I just keep pushing pushing through. 
And then there, there comes a point too where, you know, you, you've invested so much time and so much energy. There was nothing else that I could see myself doing, right? This is like, I, I pretty much told myself at a certain point when I really quit my jobs and started working on this full time, like, who would I work for at this point? You know, yeah. where would I be employable <laughs> and where would I find any fulfillment uh, if it weren't for me doing my own thing? I, I would pretty much be unemployable, uh, <laughs> you know, so... I think that was that was what really kept me going and, and made sure that I followed through. And I'm and I'm glad that I did. I think, you know, it just takes time when you really believe in something and you're excited about it. It uh it's probably taking more time than I thought it would, but I I needed to learn everything that I, I did along the process. Um, you know, one of the the barriers that we had it was you know, when I talk about that New Orleans property, you know. We were excited about it because this was the first time that it had been done where, you know, someone is really taking the lens of Black history and Black culture and using that as the the uh, design thread throughout the property and how you program and how you design it. <clears throat> and so th- this was cool for us to get our, our name out there. We won, you know, up and coming Hotelier of the Year that year. Um we won a number of awards. We even won a gold key award for that property, uh, not once, but twice. And what, what we realized shortly after that, as we went to go do the next one, is that that pigeonholed us into being more like this bed and breakfast, small room count property type of brand. And that wasn't the case at all. We just didn't have the resources to do much else. And felt like this was an opportunity for us to get the brand out there and then, you know, grow from there. Um, and so it quickly ended up pigeonholing us in a lot of ways when that was the, when you look at track record and that was the thing that you had to point to that wasn't a full service hotel, wasn't like 80 keys in a, in a top market. Um, and so, you know, just all these different things that you think you're doing the right thing and lo and behold, you might've, pigeonhole yourself uh, to a certain extent. And how do, how do you get past that? And how do you get through that? Um, but all of the entire process, when I look back at everything that we did, it was all worth it. I wouldn't take back anything, right? Because we needed that property to get our brand out there. We needed to get the awards, you know, probably the highest awarded hotel company with the fewest amount of keys ever, you know? So um, we, we, we needed that to propel our story so that when the real opportunities came, uh, we would be able, we'd be in prime position for it. And I think what the beauty in that is we see ourselves in this moment now after COVID, two things have happened. There's so many opportunities on the market that we can now take advantage of. They're at discounts. So when you talk about raising capital as a challenge, you don't have to raise as much capital now. Um, and then when that social awakening happened this summer, everyone reached out to me because they knew I was the only one in the hospitality space that was doing what I was doing, right? So then the opportunities came um, even greater. There was more, more that came to us that we didn't even have to go out and search for because we had just made a name for ourselves in the industry. So we're, we're really just in prime position to, to scale, to, to develop um, in some really cool markets. And I'm super excited about that. Yeah, that's really cool. It, it's a challenge that a lot of small business owners face is the 
which comes first, the chicken or the egg. And you got to prove right. yourself before people will invest in you, but you need people to invest in you to prove what you can really do. Prove yourself. Exactly. So yeah. you started small with the more, um, and then we're able to make that transition into larger items that you were, that you had originally envisioned. Um, one of the things you've mentioned is choosing markets that have untold stories. What can you unpack that a little bit for us and um, give us some examples of what that means? Yeah, so I'll, I'll take New Orleans as an example, right? I think if you go to New Orleans, you're going to understand the the, the jazz culture. You're going to understand um, the music culture that exists. You're going to see pictures of Louis Armstrong. You're going to see. Uh, you know, trumpets and saxophones turned into lamps. Um, you, you're going to see all of that reflected. But then even in New Orleans, there was a deeper story that needed to be told. And um, through our property, uh, what we were looking at was if we peel back the onion and we, you know, go even a step further, how did it even become the jazz capital that it was? You know, where did that stem from? And can we go back to that history, right? So it, it took time. We had to do a lot of interviews, did a lot of research. Um, and then we quickly realized like, oh, the music scene that exists here is a direct link to slavery, a direct link to, um, you know, the fact that New Orleans was home to the largest population of free people of color. Um, and, there were ways in which people could buy back their freedom and, and all these different things that we were learning in the process. And it's like, oh, you know, mute the music scene here started in what they call Congo Square, which is now Louis Armstrong Park, right? And Con uh, Congo Square is where slaves were able to go and play their music, beat their drums, dance, right? You see the second lines that exist. That's where that comes from. Right. And so we felt like there was another layer to New Orleans that wasn't really being told as to the origins of why things are the, the way that they are in the city. And we had an opportunity to, to link it back to that. And I think if you go to any of these cities, you go to Detroit, D.C., Memphis, all these other markets, where are those stories being told? Right. If it's not, a, it is, I'm not talking about a civil rights museum. I'm talking about just the history the African-American history that exists in these cities and how can you, you know, pay homage to that? Um, and even the culture that exists today, right? I think, you know, Detroit has a very different culture than Oakland today in, in seeing the, these cities in their trajectory. Um, there's just a lot of opportunity for us, but we have to become many historians. We have to, to dig deep. We have to spend time in these markets. We need to understand what these markets need, right? There's a, a very distinct need in New Orleans that's very different than Oakland, right? Oakland, we have a homeless issue that's out of control. So how can we use the hotel to do something about that? And then in other markets, they have different needs, right? So uh, these are all the things that we sit down and think about and immerse ourselves in that local culture and find ways to uh, to, to weave both historical and local and cultural threads throughout the entire life of the property. Yeah, Damon, you bring up a, a really interesting point 
of, you know, you have like the historical um, research that you're doing in these markets to kind of, to tell these untold stories. And, you know, to a lot of people, you know, that's probably a clear line of like, you know, this is a paying homage to these stories, but you brought up even like more, um, you know, current event and current culture and things like that. Um, and how you can, you can really pay homage to even, you know, current culture and in, in, in these markets. Um, what are ways that you, that you hope to do that and you are doing that with, with this brand? Yeah, I think making sure that we, we speak to people that are there today, right? And I think that um, as we, we do our research and we do our interviews, it's different also for each market and understanding where, where even where the city wants to see itself. And I think even if you're to look at Oakland, Oakland looks like a much different city uh, than it did in the past. And it's come a long way from even its Black Panther history, right? But there's still, there's still a story of resistance. There's still a story of uh, a protest and what that means, right? You have Black Lives Matter that was started by three women from Oakland, right? And so it's, that's a direct descendant of the Black Panther Party. <laughs> and what that meant is just, it's just changed up and it's, it's modernized for, because we have new needs today, right? And so just taking all of those things into consideration is, is important um, to understand. And I, I firmly believe that if you look into history, you're just going to see patterns. Um, and we, we tend to repeat history a lot and we do it and we do it no good to ourselves if we're repeating it, but not understanding the history and not understanding what, what came before us. Right. I think I, when we hit the pandemic hit, I looked a lot at that, uh, Spanish flu pandemic that happened just a hundred years ago and what happened, what were the, what, how, how did it you know, kind of materialize? How long did it last? And I looked at all those things very early on, like last March, and said to myself, okay, like we're looking at probably about two years, right? Talking about vaccines and what that's going to look like. And then, you know, COVID might be here forever. It might not ever go away. Just, you know, the effects lessen because it's the same thing that happened with the flu, right? We still you know, deal with it every year. Um, and what does that look like? And then you had the roaring 20s right after the flu pandemic because everybody was so, you know, secluded and stuck in their home. And now finally, when they when everything is all over, business is booming, you know, restaurants and, you know, this is prohibition era. So everything is just rocking and people are figuring out ways to make money and money's flowing um, and it's an exciting time. And so just being able to, to, to take all of that stuff into consideration as we look to what's next um, in our industry and in each individual market that we're in. I'm curious which markets um, are on the horizon for you guys. And if you could, if you're able to share any of those timelines or plans around that. Yeah, I think the, the one that's, the, or the two that are the most uh, critical and that we're working on right now at this moment is I'm actually sitting in our Oakland property. So I talked about um, before having a property under contract uh, after the New Orleans deal um, in Oakland and, you know, then the pandemic hits. But we were, 
under contract on this property for about $26 million, right? Super expensive for 92 keys, but that's just where Bay Area real estate is today. And now we're, we're back under contract at a 40% discount from that. Oh, wow. um, and so it, it really worked out in our favor. This is the, we're excited about this project. We're going to close all of our financing the end of this month. And then we're going to start redevelopment uh, really soon. So it probably wouldn't open for another 18 months, but I think that's a, a good timeline for us to, to wade through the water, so to speak and get through the, the tail end of uh, of the pandemic. And then we have a really exciting project in Albany, Georgia. It's an 80 key uh, room hotel um, that we're super excited about. We, we just finalized the management uh, terms just last week and uh, we'll be announcing that officially over the next couple of days. I, I even posted some stuff on social media quietly to let people know about that. But those those two projects, but then we're also looking extensively in Baltimore. Uh, Baltimore is a market that I, I love and I'm excited about. And then we're looking at Memphis too. Um, I think that that's also a, another really cool and exciting market. But I mean, you could probably imagine some of the cities and markets that we, we would want to enter into. I mean, Birmingham, Atlanta, um, DC, um, Harlem, Brooklyn, Detroit, Chicago. Um, all these markets are just really exciting for us. And we're looking forward to to looking for properties in those. That's really exciting to hear what you got in the pipeline. Um, awesome. Cool. Well, uh, kind of as we're wrapping up here, uh, one of the final questions we always like to ask our guests, being the Future Hospitality Podcast, um, is to just kind of looking forward into the future of hospitality, travel, tourism, um, you know, you mentioned some of the, the things in your pipeline and what you guys are working on, but is there any other things that you're excited about uh, personally or professionally that you're just on the, it's on the horizon for these industries and your involvement with it? Yeah, I'm, I'm excited because I think that travel is going to go back to the basics and, and our, our need for travel is going back to uh, what it's always been. And that is experience first, right? And I think we're, we're always going to be from this point forward, at least until until the, the COVID-19 uh, shock and all wears off, we're going to be looking for those rich uh, experiences, right? And that's what's going to drive the reasons why people travel. Um, I'm also excited in the fact that I think that Airbnb just in general has created this ripple effect and triple trickle-down effect of causing people to look outside of you know, the, the typical markets and go a little bit deeper, even sub-markets within markets, right? And going into neighborhoods. Um, and I think that that's really awesome for us because to be honest with you, some of the, the properties that we'll look at are going to be off the beaten path, right? They're going to be in the south side of a neighborhood, um, but it's going to tell a rich story and it, it, it needs to be there to authentically touch on the things that that community needs in, in that story. And so Airbnb has just allowed people to think, you know, differently in how they pick their travel and where they want to be in Uber the same way, right? Location is, is, is different now because we have all these, these other means of, of travel and getting from point A to point B. 
And I'm just excited because I think we're about to have another roaring 20s, right? Everybody's talking about what they're going to do post-pandemic. And I see a lot of domestic travel. I think international travel is still going to be weird because what people aren't realizing is that we are pretty far along with our vaccinations, but other other places are not. Um, And just the social responsibility that comes along with that. And so I think we're going to be... experiencing a high level of domestic travel over the next couple of years. Um, So I think it's going to be a fun time for all of us independent hoteliers as we we find ways to, um, you know, create awesome experiences for our guests. Yeah, definitely. Well, I hope you're right about the Roaring Twenties. I tend to be optimistic about it too. So that's exciting to hear you say that too. Oh, definitely. I I can't wait. I think that... uh, Again, history is going to repeat itself for sure. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Damon, thank you so much uh, for joining us today and then sharing a little bit about your story and uh, what you're doing at Homage Hospitality. I'm really excited to continue following along and and keep stalking you from behind the scenes. (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate it. And thank you for uh, allowing me on the podcast and giving me the platform. Uh, Yeah, for sure. Thanks, Damon. Thank you, Damon. All right. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Future Hospitality Podcast. If you enjoyed today's topic and episode, please leave us a review. If you'd like to learn more about Longitude, you can visit longitudebranding.com to see our portfolio of design work, read our insights blog, and learn more about our team. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook by searching for Longitude Branding.